Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have Henry Shimp. He recently graduated from playing at Stanford, where his scoring average was 72.45 across 120 rounds, which if you've ever played uh, that many rounds of golf, that's a great scoring average, especially playing the courses that Stanford would play against the teams and the competitors that they would play. So that's an awesome accomplishment. He was Pac-12 Scholar Athlete of the Year in 2022, so he is much smarter than I am. And he was part of Stanford's NCAA team victory in 2019. He now runs a golf podcast called The Tie. It's a fascinating podcast. I, I love this podcast. I haven't got to listen to enough, but he and his co-host Walker Simus talk with a wide variety of people about their tie to the game. So it's a, it's a very cool podcast. I highly recommend you checking it out. It's not widely known enough. It should It should be much more popular than it is based on what I've heard of it. And this episode is a little different. We take our time getting into the nitty gritty of golf psychology, but I think this is a very interesting conversation about Henry as a person and a golfer and how his relationship with the game has changed throughout the years. But we get into some really good stuff with Henry's battle with his chipping and how mental it's become. So hang in there for that. All right, let's go ahead and get in this conversation with Henry Shemp. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. So what do you, I'm, I'm curious just selfishly since I have some time with you. Um, how long have you been doing the tie? It's been, now my mic is disconnected. Nope. Now it's back on. I think you're um, good. Yeah. It's been, let's see, we're, we're like very close to two years. It was, um, June of 21 that we started out. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and were you still at, were you still at Stanford? At that I was point. in school when we started. Yeah. I, yeah. so I actually, um, it was a standard four, but start to finish, I was there six years, I guess, yeah. because there was like a full 20 months or so off for COVID being in California. We had a long period of time where they like wouldn't allow us to be there and everything. And so, um, yeah, it was a standard four years of golf, but I didn't finish until just this past spring, basically a year ago now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did it for, I was doing the pod for a full year while still yeah. in school. Yeah, yeah. Is it just you? Has it just been you? I don't listen. So, to, I've listened to only a, one or two episodes. Sorry. Yeah. So my, no, not at all. Um, my buddy Walker Simus, too. Uh, yeah, we went that's to Myers Park right. High School together. Um, he played golf at Wofford. We both do it. So um, yeah, we do kind of one episode together per week, um, and then we each do individual interviews. We've done. Maybe we've done almost 200 episodes now, and I think maybe two of them have we both been on for an interview style. Um, okay. So the interviews are pretty much one on one, and then he and I get together about once a week and Mudball Monday. Exactly, talk yeah, about yeah. nothing important essentially. <laughs> nice. I, yeah, I'm. I'm. I pay just enough attention to know that you release episodes. I I tuned in for John Eads. That was the. Maybe cool. the the one I've listened to, uh, I just we have an eight month old. I just and I run a business and I run this. I just don't have time to consume. Um, no, dude, it's crazy. Like I even even a lot of the pods that like got me into podcasting. Honestly, like no laying up. I certainly listened to a lot back in the day. I, I maybe hit one out of five at this point. One out of ten. 
you yeah. know, I, I used to listen to Ben Adelberg a ton. He's a good friend. And like, I'm very selective based on the guest at this point. Um, sure. Especially when, I mean, you talk, you know, have a business and like doing your own podcast, like trying to get out two episodes a week. Walker does all of our social media stuff. I do all the editing and whatnot. And so, you know, I'll kind of get to a point where it's like, okay, this week I've, I've recorded two podcasts. I've edited two podcasts. I've also listened to two non-golf podcasts. I just don't have any more time to listen to other people's golf. You know, it's just, it yeah. becomes a lot. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. no, I mean, nothing taken on uh, not, not tuning in all that much. Do you care about the numbers? Yeah. Like, is that a thing that you dive into much or? You know, do you I'm do kind of a, tie? yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I think first and foremost, like we both really enjoy it. We both like golf. We both like talking about it. I, I always tell people probably the best part is that like, I mean, Walker and I are like, we're best friends and yeah. I mean, we talk because of it, whether it's over a podcast or about a podcast or something. I mean, we're on the phone four plus times a week. And so, you know, seeing as he lives in Florida, I live in Texas, I was in California, like, you know, we've just stayed super, super tight through it. So that's kind of always my go-to is like, good, bad, or otherwise, like we have to be on the phone all the time. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. But, you know, I still just, I, I really love talking about it. I love kind of staying involved in the game. Um, I think that our our specific interests in terms of what we talk about have probably developed slightly over time. And I don't know if interest is the right word, actually. I think it's a little bit more of just like subject matter of, hey, I, I can certainly talk about competitive golf plenty, but I haven't played a competitive round in a little while. It's going to change here pretty soon. Um, but I don't, you know, we're not going to hop on there a bunch and be like, Hey, let's break down like the mentality from this last tournament. Cause it's like, well, that was like a year ago, you know? Yeah. Um, sure. but it's just, you know, it's fun to, um, to kind of stay involved with it. You know, you ask about the analytics. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a numbers driven guy to where it's not like, I don't need the ego stroke. I don't need to know like, Hey, this is like, you know, really growing this, that, the other, but I, I can't like put something out there and not kind of be like well, are people more interested in this or that, you know? So I kind of use it a little bit as like a cross-reference between how much did we enjoy that sort of episode and what we're doing? And then how much did other people enjoy it? And when mm -hmm. we kind of start to funnel those two, because where I don't care about the analytics is like, I know how to get a show that, that is going to get a bunch of downloads. Like if you get someone not, not purely, but, but more or less, if you get someone that has pretty good, like social media reach that yeah. other people kind of know the voice of like, I've done plenty of podcasts with like Andy Johnson and the no laying up guys. Like, look, if you want to get a big podcast, just like pull in Tron Carter and you'll get a lot yeah, of downloads, you know, right. like that's you bring his works. audience yeah. and he's, you know, he's a friend. And so he's always happy to do it. And that's great. But I'm not going to sit there and have every fourth episode be with like someone from that, from one of those platforms, just purely because I need downloads. Yeah. Um, but I do find it interesting to say like, okay, like this is what we're really into right now. You know, talking to just insert whoever, and other people found that interesting as well, that starts to kind of point you down the path that you might need to go or want to go. Um, so to that, to that end, I, I look at the analytics. We certainly have our eye on them, but mm. we're not like, oh yeah, like that episode was like, you know, really heavily downloaded. Like we got to go that direction right now. You know, we're not like skating to the puck necessarily, but you know, I think it's important to kind of know where the puck is headed. Hmm. So, I mean, do you do it for, because you guys are curious about people or do you do it to promote or give the people that you have on a platform? Is it for you or is it for the people that you have on? Um, I would start by saying the latter. However, there's, there's definitely benefit 
kind of in the former category as well from the standpoint of you know seeing other people enjoy getting on there share their story talk about the game like we benefit so much from that getting to learn how other people enjoy the game and what their passions within it are and what their expertise is and so it, it doesn't come from a place of selfishness at all it's not like hey i'm doing this purely for myself for me and i think walker would probably say the same thing it's it's pure interest and curiosity you know like i want to know what other people know about the game and how they think about the game and how they feel about the game. And in so doing, I get a lot of benefit out of that. Um, but it's, it's not, it doesn't start from a place of like, Hey, I'm trying to like benefit personally from it. I think it definitely has a lot more to do with the guest. Um, you know, I always think that a, a super successful show is when, when you finish up and someone says like, Hey, you did a good job there. And I really enjoyed that. You know, I was a little bit nervous, but like you asked some really nice questions and kind of calmed me down. And, I really enjoyed talking with you today. Like to me, it's like, that's, that's 10 out of 10, you know, whether, whether 5,000 people listen to it or five people listen to it or whatever it happens to be. Like if, if the person that I'm interviewing has a good time and is able to share something and kind of open up a little bit to me, that is kind of what success looks like. Is there a, is there an episode that kind of made the biggest impact on you that, that would just come to mind as I'm saying this, that you said, whoa, that like you shifted your trajectory in some way because of this conversation? Uh, maybe slightly. I, I spoke with, um, I feel like this would always be my, my go-to answer, but I spoke with Wright Thompson from ESPN. I uh, can't, can't remember when it was. It was a little while ago. Um, but, you know, he, he's definitely a very good example of like our whole deal is, you know, talking to people that have diverse interests and backgrounds in the game and just kind of piecing it all, tying it, dare I say, all together. <laughs> And right, like his interest in golf is kind of, I don't know if far-fetched is the right way to put it, but Mm -hmm. it's extrapolated from pretty far away from the game. You know, like he hardly plays. I remember him saying something along the lines of like, yeah, like I've played four times this past year and it was like Augusta, St. Andrews, Carnoustie and, you know, insert other similar sort of course. And he was like, yeah, it was cool, but like, I'm terrible. It was with rented clubs. And so it's just like, it's a very interesting way to experience the game, but he had so much passion for it for so many other reasons that are so different from you or I who love to compete and just get nitty gritty and love, you know, getting our hips warmed up to go try to play half decent and can complain about, Oh, I'm cutting the ball today because like, you know, my right elbow isn't quite opened up, you know, junk like that. And so to talk with someone that so quickly turned it into like, I love it because I get to write about it and go to the masters and experience it with my dad and all of those different things that definitely was like a full shift of like, okay, I know that this is kind of what I'm after here of getting someone that has a diverse interest in the game and approaches it, approaches it from a different way that I do. Mm. But it was just like, it was very, very far out there. And I quickly was like, okay, like we might be onto a little concept here. Like there are a lot of people to talk to that come at the game from a very different place. I think early on, I think any podcaster, regardless of what your concept is, probably faces the, man, how many people do I really have to talk with? And you always have those few episodes here and there where you're like, it's, it's so many people, you know, that Mm. that's our whole deal is like, if you want to just throw the umbrella over like, Hey, how many uh, competitive golfers are there out there? Like that number is pretty big. How many casual golfers are there out there? Like that number also is pretty big. And then if you just start to say like, some of our best conversations are actually with neither of those. It's like people that are interested in it, but like from a very different place, it's like, well, that, that number's massive. There's so many people you can talk to. So that, that's kind of the whole concept is like, 
honestly, the more interesting someone's background is, but the more like far-fetched within a golf specific manner is probably the people that we end up getting the best podcasts with. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 it's fascinating. The, the, when I, uh, a friend of mine said, you should check out the tie, uh, because, and when I just started diving into it, 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 I just said, this is brilliant because everyone, it's like what, what I've always heard about golf is, um, you know, it's great for business, right? If you're, if you're a business major, golf is what you want. And it's not, and whether or not that's true, it's just fascinating to, um, Everyone has a tie to golf in some way. And if golf is this ball in the middle, it's just from all these different angles. And it's just, um, I, so when I, when I kind of grasped the concept for what you guys were doing, um, combined with just the great title, I don't know. I just, it, it was just like, man, this is brilliant. Like I, I hope, I hope this grows and is top three on the charts because it deserves mm-hmm. it. I just, it's just been awesome. Um, but does lacking, playing tournament golf you said it's been like a year has that um has that increased your desire to get back at it or has it decreased your desire increased absolutely i'm like a i'm like a competitive junkie like that's that's my thing i love competitive golf so i um going backwards slightly i guess i finished school what beginning of June last year whenever very end of May whenever NCAAs wraps up unfortunately our weekend did before the the end of the week mm-hmm. um but yeah that I, I did that and then I actually had kind of a, a full competitive schedule planned out for the summer um I had already accepted a job so I was in California at the time I was getting ready to move to Texas and in the interim I was like ah you know I'll, I'll continue to compete do the podcasting thing and um you know I'm not going to just like go sit on the beach the whole time and so. Mm-hmm. I ended up playing in the British Amateur, um, third week of June or so. And then while I was still over there playing some casual golf, ended up having a shoulder injury. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of sidelined me, had to withdraw from a few things. Um, you know, it was potentially looking like a surgical option, um, Mm, but really didn't, didn't want to go that route. I wanted to just try to rehab it myself and, um, see how well I can do there. And everything's gone really well. It's, you know, I underestimated, um, and we, you know, happy to talk more about this, but the mental side of like getting back from an injury, like I kind of got to a point where I was like, Hey, look, like my shoulder's solid. Like there's just not a whole lot to be worried about here, but making a fluid motion coming Mm -hmm. off of an injury when, you know, I went through a period of like three months where every swing that I made every three swings, like my shoulder would like dislocate. And that's not a very fun way to try to play golf. And so returning to the game from that was like really, really a long process. I mean, it was probably just three or four weeks ago that I got back to where I was willing to swing at a driver and say like, Hey, I'm going to try to fly this 300, not just like, Oh, kind of like halfway arm swing this thing. And so anyway, that's kind of the crux of why I've been out of the competitive game a little bit. But again, like that's what I've always enjoyed the most about golf is playing tournament golf. And so um, I've got a couple things on the calendar this year, uh, getting ready to kind of get back into it. And I'm, I'm fully in that stage now where I, I think a lot of people exit college golf and they're, they're, they're pretty ready for a break. That, that wasn't me necessarily. Um, was I got like one. a little, yeah, I did get one. Um, but was I maybe, uh, you know, a little bit prepared to step away from like 7am? I feel like I should be hitting mm-hmm. four footers. Like, yeah, okay. That felt pretty good. Um, but, you know, going through a, a pretty long period of like, I, yeah, all I can really do is hit like putts and chips like that. 
that was not very fun. And so um, I live in Austin, Texas, which is an awesome town. I've really enjoyed being here. Not the best place for golf. Uh, kind of just have to scratch and claw for different public courses, and you know you have to just swallow some tea times where it's like three. Th- like I'm playing tomorrow, three thirty on a Saturday. Probably going to take five hours. Probably mm. going to be ninety three degrees. I'll sweat through my shirt on the fourth hole, and you know it just kind of is what it is. Um, but I have found that if you get out there at like six thirty a.m., it can be a little bit less crowded, and you can get some golf in. But so anyway, long way of saying. Um, I, I'm very ready to step back into the competitive game. I, I have very low expectations on what my game may look like, uh, but but I'm looking forward to um, you know kind of re-entering that world. And I think there's like there, there's so much excitement around anything, like stepping away from it a little bit, and then like getting back into it and and kind of relearning a little bit. Um, you know that that that's just so fun for me, like learning to score the ball a little bit better again. That's what I'm probably most excited for because I think we all kind of know, like, when you get to a certain level in the game, you're going to be able to go out and casual golf and play decently, or certainly like hit it half decent on the range. But then you also know if you've played enough competitive golf, the odds that you just roll out there and start playing really well are low to quite low. Um, so I'm I'm fully ready to card some seventy eights and then just kind of work my way back down to some some little bit better scores, hopefully with an asterisk. Yeah. What, what's on the tournament lineup? You, you're dancing around it. What's, what's on the schedule? Are you mid am uh, yet? Are you 25? I, I am 25. Um, uh, so I'll, now you're talking. I, so th- it feels like cheating, but you know, I played enough decent golf late in my college career to where that, that wagger ranking still exists. Oh, good. Okay. Too terrible. Um, so planning on, you know, you know, work permitting planning on, making my way up to New York this summer uh, for Sleepy Hollow, which should be mm. really cool. Um, I'm yeah, signed wait. up for a U.S. amateur qualifier, which I, I, again, you know, commenting on work, I've had to change my qualifier like four times. And so yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see if I actually show up and and give it a, give it a run there. Um, but I'll do those couple things. And then, yeah, it's just through travel with, with both work and a couple casual things. Um, it's not going to be my best summer to go peg it in a bunch of the larger amateur events, um, which is a little unfortunate because they're obviously a ton of great options there. And I love doing that, but the plan slash goal is to, you know, do the U S amateur qualifier play in the mid am. And then kind of as the fall moves along and you have some of the mid amateur events, um, start to kind of dip my toe in there and, um, you know, show people that I'm interested in in doing that because I think that's part of it as well as you know once you get like you get out of school and, and people are like well you're still like half decent you're a mid amateur now but but not everyone actually like wants to play I kind of want to formally tell people like yeah I'm like I'm I want to play I want to get out there um, yeah you know I know I know you've done some really cool things in the mid amateur game and uh you know that's certainly something I look up to and and would love to um you know have some of the same sort of success yeah and the and the like invitational scene of the, you know, Gasparillas and and those kind of tournaments are you you kind of have to be in that conversation. Uh you have to be in that crowd to get that invite. You got to you got to be on the circuit, you know, and and I got some of those invitations from finishing runner up in the mid-am, but I I put the clubs away. I had um there was 8 months between the US mid-am and the USAM and Pebble. And I might've played twice between the, during that eight months. And I, I regret it a little bit. You know, I could have played 
Seminole and all these whatever places. But I just, I said, I respectfully declined all of them. And uh, I, I would like that try again. I would like to not decline them. Um, but I don't know. Is that, are, is that something that is that, are those invitations that you expect? I know we've passed some of the tournaments already, but is that something you're, is that what you mean when you're trying to show that you want to play? Is that what you're talking about? Well, expect invitations. Not, a, not at all. Uh, okay. gotta, gotta play well and like gotta show up in the mid am and like start to put together a, a mid amateur resume. Um, you know, it's like you go from junior golf to college golf. Like you don't just get invitations. You go from college to mid-am. You don't just get invitations. Like I, uh, I know that I got to go play in some tournaments and start to play well. But that would be kind of the two to three year plan is is to start to you know play in some of the USGA stuff and you know get into some of the the smaller ones that are willing to throw out invites, um, and then hopefully kind of work my way onto that scene because I just think it's a fun way to to stay involved both with the competitive game and with other guys that are interested in it. And um, I've just heard a lot of great things. And so um, I would certainly be interested. I, you know, I'm curious. I, I want to spin it a little bit and throw the question to you. you. You said that you did not accept those invites. Was it purely out of a lack of preparedness? Like you just were like, hey, I, I do not need to be going and playing Seminole having not played golf at all. Or what? why exactly was it that you decided to not play in those tournaments? Uh, it had a few reasons. One. I think the biggest one was financial. It was, you know, it's going to cost $500 to play in the tournament. Try, you you have to fly. You got to stay somewhere for a week. Uh, you know, it ended up being a couple grand or something that I, I wasn't working. I didn't have a job immediately lined up uh, because I had spent all my time golfing, right? Playing, living at home, playing golf, working at a golf course. Like I didn't, I didn't have a job immediately. I had to flounder to find something. Uh, so the biggest one was financial. The next one was preparedness slash I, it would be wasted on me kind of, I don't know. That's a noble, that sounds noble, but it it was kind of, I don't, not that I don't deserve this. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show up and probably shoot 82. And I just, um, looking back, I wish I had gone and played Seminole and shot 82, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it, I think it was a little bit of, um, I'm not going to live up to this invite. It felt very prestigious and, and we only invite the best players that deserve this. And I don't, I don't know if any of that's true, but in my mind, when I got this really cool invite in the mail, this, this is amazing, I, but I don't deserve this. I haven't touched a club in three months. Uh, sure. I earned it last year, but I don't, I haven't earned it lately. So I don't know. I, um, I respectfully declined and, um, Kind of wish I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that all makes sense. Yeah, I, I was yeah, I was curious about the thought process yeah. there because I I think about that myself. Like as I get back into tournament golf, like man, I haven't played in forever. Like, am I going to be nervous to go out there and good, bad, or otherwise? I've kind of always been someone that's like, hey, I'll I'll go see what I've got. You know, yeah, exactly. Might, especially at a seminal that that might end in shooting eighty seven. Um, but I'll, I'll yeah. go, you know, do it with a smile on my face. Um, but yeah, I was just curious at kind of how yeah. you think through that, especially from a, a mental standpoint, because I think that, you know, certain people you'll, you'll always hear like, Hey, you know, I haven't played, I haven't competed in a while. Like I had friends in school coming off an injury or just whatever it is. And they would kind of be in this mindset of like, well, I got to just ease back into it. And 
my mindset is kind of like, well, at some point you just kind of have to rip the bandaid a little bit, you know? And in fact, it might just be the best way to go about it to say like, look, if I can get into something like a little bit larger rather than just go play a couple qualifiers or something like just go do it, you know, just literally jump in the fire and sure. miss, miss some two and a half footers, hook some drivers out of bounds and just like, just figure it out, you know, because that, that is the essence of tournament golf is just purely you get out there and one swing into the day all the swing thoughts are out the window and it is just like you know trying to figure it out with a bunch of band-aids on and and figuring out what your game is going to look like a few holes in and seeing how you can get it to the house that day that that to me is what i enjoy about tournament golf is the fact that um there are very few days where you get to actually go out there and like execute a game plan you know you can kind of try to stick to it or at least some some mental model of it um but by and large i find that you know by the fifth hole when i meant to hit like a high cut off the left trees you know down there to have a wedge in, it's like yeah man that one's probably going ob today i think i'm just gonna put a two iron out there and, and see how i can play with a two iron seven iron sort of game yeah in the in the 2021 mid-am it was my final year of exemption it was at a uh, sankety head and the i i had been working on one exact swing thing for months going in and i get there and i'm absolutely hacking it i i said okay because it was going to be like a fade move and i said screw that i'm closing to my shoulders i'm gonna feel like i'm gonna hit a, a big hook and hit it amazing like i i abandoned everything the night before the actual uh first day of stroke play and said screw that i'm doing what i want to do and I worked out. I got into match play. I won my first match. I made it to the round of 36. It was the best best golf I've played in in years at that point. So, uh, to your point, you're you can't always show up and get what you expect and get what you've been trying to do, and it's not going to go well. And that's why tournament golf is fun because it feels it feels good when when you beat those odds and you beat the. Uh, the discomfort and you're in the fire, but you come out the other side. That's why tournament golf is fun. Yeah. And I'd have to imagine, you know, haven't, haven't done it yet, but I would have to imagine that mid amateur golf is even more that way because you're just simply for most guys, I know I'll be in this camp. Like you're just not getting to practice ever potentially and, and probably not even play that much either. And, you know, the memories that I have in, in competing when I actually was playing a lot and practicing a lot, if I was thinking about something with my swing or I felt like I could go out there and really execute a plan that purely came from just a lot of hard work. You know, if you yeah. were hitting balls for two hours a day, every day prior to going and competing and like really working on a swing thought, then like you don't know anything other than what's going through your mind as you're making that swing. But when you get out there and you've hit, you know, a cumulative two hours of balls in the last like four months, you know, you don't really have a lot of swing thoughts going on. You're just yeah. kind of more point and shoot um but point and shoot golf can be really fun especially yeah. if the ball's going like halfway where you're looking yeah so what's your what do you do now what like what kind of time do you have for golf now so i work in real estate private equity um my time for golf is during the week probably uh pre 8 30 a.m so that's not a ton in the evening uh doesn't exist and then on the weekends hmm. Yeah, the weekends are open. Um, I, th I think the biggest challenge is, is frankly just the accessibility. Um, there mm -hmm. are, you know, kind of as I was touching on before, yeah. like there are a good handful of public courses in Austin, um, but getting a tee time is very difficult. I was 
was at the gym this week. Uh, let's see, Tuesday morning is when they release tea times for kind of the full city. And it's 7 a.m., I guess. So I called it like 6.45. I thought that it was 6.30 and they were like, no, nah, it's not till 7. So I think I made like 11 phone calls between 7 and 7.30 and the line was busy the entire time. And then finally, by the time that I got someone at 7.30, I was like, hey, like, what do you have? Uh, you know, any course, like I, I just need to get out there and buy, or I just want to play like any tea time, you know, in the morning, preferably Saturday, Sunday, when it's not just crazy hot and hopefully not super crowded. And they were like, Let's see. I can do 320 on Saturday or 540 on Sunday. And I was like, God bless. Like I was really, tr- I was trying hard here. Um, yeah. So that that's probably the largest challenge is just the pure accessibility factor. But as I touched on before, you know, if you're willing to get out there super early, which is, you know, no stress on me, um, you can, you can get some golf in, but yeah, there just, there aren't a lot of times anymore out of lack of time. And just again, that accessibility piece where, I'm actually going out and saying like, okay, I'm going to practice for 45 minutes before an hour before, and then go, you know, play 18 holes. I kind of bucket my golf based on like, Hey, what, what do I have to a lot to it today? You know? And if that's a Tuesday AM or Thursday AM, then that might be 90 minutes of golf. And and on a Saturday afternoon, that kind of might be, um, you know, four hours of golf, but that's, that's how I measure it anymore. People ask like how often I, I play nine or 18. I'm like, I play in buckets of time, you know, like if that's 13 and a half holes that takes four hours, then that's kind of what my patience window is that day. And so, yeah, like tomorrow, for example, 320 tea time, like probably off the course by seven. Hopefully that's stro- that's striding off the 18th green, but, you know, could be like coming off the 13th at 7 p.m. And I'm like, I, I don't have quite enough passion for golf or, or I, I guess patience for golf is a better mm-hmm. word uh, at this point. So, um, yeah, the time isn't isn't quite what it used to be, but, uh, you know, it makes you appreciate every swing a little bit more. Does it worry you that, you won't be as good Uh, does this kind of lack of being able to play does it is is worry and emotion that kind of surrounds it Uh, i wouldn't say so no i'm i i don't uh i don't stress about golf a lot especially i never was a very stressed out competitor um you know touched on it before that like i just i really enjoy competing and so I think that was a mental shift at some point to some degree of like, man, this is something that I just really enjoy. And so like, I'm going to actually go practice what I preach. Um, there's always going to be stress on parts of the game that you're not as good at. We, if you want to talk about shipping, we can talk about shipping. I'm not, I've never been good. And that's, that's, if there is stress in the game of golf, it's a tight cut wedge shot. Like that's just, we don't need to talk about that potentially, but um you know, whatever someone's not good at, if someone's a little bit nervous with a driver in their hands, like when you go compete your first tee box, you're probably going to be pretty nervous. You know, if yeah. you've never been the best short putter ever, like that first sliding four footer of the day, like you're probably going to be pretty nervous. But to me, like being a nervous competitor is kind of like minute one to, you know, minute entirely too many with the pace of play these days mm. um you're you're like kind of sweating it out there i mean you can see it when someone's walking between shots they're just like really flat nervous that's where again whether it's um you know completely natural or just a little bit of a mindset like i try to go out there and say to myself like i enjoy this like this is something i'm having fun with and so i'm not going to walk from you know the tee box to the fairway on the fifth hole and be like sweating about what my approach shot is going to be because I haven't been playing that great today. Like I'm going to talk to my competitors. I'm going to enjoy it and just see how well I can do because my, my mindset around competitive golf is always going to be that I believe that I'm going to play well that day. It's just that what, what playing well means 
probably mm. is a little bit different at different times. You know, there was there was a day in which like at a US amateur playing well was, hey, like I should be or I think I can get to match play and I can probably start winning matches and like take it pretty deep. And these days, like if I was able to slide into US amateur, I I still would believe that I was going to play well. It's just that, hey, playing well might mean I shoot 148 and the match play cut is 142, you know, and it could mean shooting 140, but I don't really know what that is. That's why you just have to go out there and put yourself at, put yourself in the game and figure out what that is. Um, but I always feel like I'm going to play well. It's just that based on your preparation and and how well you're playing at the time, you don't really know how that's going to stack up relative to other people. Does this, has this mentality, is it why you were a successful college player? I'd consider you a successful college player. I don't know if you consider yourself. Uh, most people um, downplay how they did. I know I did. I, I had a few wins. Uh, someone lesser than me, lesser, that less accomplished than me on paper would probably look up to me. I don't. I look up to you. You might not. Does Has this mentality helped you or did it? Do you think, you know, ferocity or something like that? Um, maybe one of your teammates was more, I don't know, blinders on or something. Do you think it helped you or it held you back? I think it definitely helped me, especially as like my career went on. Um, I, I was never someone like pro golf was just not what I aspired to. And I, if I had a good answer to that, like, I, I get asked all the time, like, why'd you not turn pro or why, hmm. when I, when I was a, a sophomore in school and I was like, no, nah, I don't think that's exactly what I want to do. It's like, well, why do you not want to do it? I, and I never had a great answer, but it's just truly not what I was, was trying to do. Um, and so I think that if that's the case, then it's like, okay, well, you got to be able to answer Then why are you doing this? Like, why are you putting 50 hours a week towards golf? If that's not going to be your profession. And that was kind of what I would go to is like, because I flat enjoy it. Like I like working at something. I like trying to get better. I like, you know, so many different aspects of the game, whether it's competition, architecture, the people that you get to meet. And, you know, college golf is such an amazing platform for that, where you get to compete with your friends on great golf courses. You get to travel all over the place They're You know, I, I was super, super fortunate to get to play at a place like Stanford where our program is surrounded by so many cool people and different sorts of teammates. The coaches were all amazing. And so I just really enjoyed every aspect of that. And, you know, what I started to tease out pretty early is the better you are at something, the more fun it is. You know, people, people are always like saying, oh, well, I enjoy this. I enjoy that. It's like, ultimately, in my mind, people enjoy what they're good at and what they do well at and what they're able to improve at. And so for me, I was just able to recognize that like, the way to really enjoy competitive golf is to lean into trying to improve at it and, you know, take its difficulty straight on and just use that as your fuel to kind of work at it and get better. And so I was never a practice junkie. Like I could have worked harder. Absolutely. I always worked hard enough to try to be really good and be prepared to go out there and convince myself I could play well. Um, so, you know, if I were to talk about like, Hey, did I feel successful? Could I have been better? I mean, the answers are you know, absolutely. Like I, I could have been a lot better. I could have worked harder at it, but I don't think that I didn't put a good effort forth. And, you know, my mindset was just always like, I want to work hard to where I can get out there and be confident that I'm going to be able to play well, because that's what I enjoy is playing really good courses and doing it under competition and just kind of seeing how well I can do essentially. Do you have any big regrets from six six years in college <laughs> playing college golf essentially 
I don't know. I, if, if I had one, I think it would be, you know, tip of my tongue. Um, I, I've said it a couple of times that like, could I have worked harder? Yeah. Yes. I think that maybe my only regret is I could have probably, um, I, so, so I'm kind of sidestepping here. I started working with a guy on my swing, my, probably my senior year. And mm-hmm. I really, really started to understand the game at a different level and in, in the golf swing at a different level when that happened. Now, I didn't know that guy when I was a freshman or sophomore. Yeah. My my coach didn't put me with him until I was a senior. I I would be interested to see where things would have gone for me because, you know, as I say that I didn't want to play professional golf. It wasn't my path. It's like, well, you know, if you're a top five amateur in the world or something, then yeah, you're probably just going to go play Obvious professional next golf. next step. Um, yeah. I would have been very interested to see what things may have looked like if I had started working with this instructor earlier. Um, but that's not necessarily a regret. That's just kind of like a, well, if I could do it again and I know what I know now, then I may have changed my course slightly. But in terms of what I put into it and, and you know, leaving how I feel about my coaches and my teammates and the entire experience, like I, I had a blast. I, I definitely improved significantly at golf. I had, you know, some success here and there. Could I have worked harder? Yes. Could I have potentially started working with a coach earlier? Yes. But I think that's probably true for everybody. And by and large, I can, you know, I can leave that stage and say, like, I put a good for, I put a good effort forth and I really enjoy doing it. Yeah. Something you mentioned was kind of facing your struggles head on. Um, and you know, I want to pick on this. You're chipping. What was, what's going on with your chipping? Is that current? Is that past? Oh, it's everything. Yeah, no, here we go. This is this life. is like if if we really want to dive into the 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 bad mental side for me, like we're here. Let's uh, do we it. have we we have officially arrived. <laughs> yeah, I mean, skeletons in the closet. It's never been it's never been my best thing. So, I like I showed up to school as a freshman and guys would ask me like, "Why do you why do you hit these like different bump and run shots?" And like, "What you know, what are you scared of here with the grain? Because, you know, the, the grass in California is pretty nice. You can kind of hit a lob wedge off of pretty much anything and nip it pretty nicely. As you know, being from the Carolinas, when you grow up on grainy Bermuda, like you, you're going to have some skeletons in the closet from mm. a young age. You're like, oh, wow, that ball, I chunked that a little, that ball only moved two feet. You know, um, that doesn't really happen when you play on like really nice zoysia grass or um, shoot, I don't even know, a lot of rye grass and things yeah, like that sure. out yeah. in California. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I just, from an early age, like probably had, and this is true of multiple things in my life, but like too pragmatic of a view of the difficulty potentially of like chipping off of grainy Bermuda, which kind of like put a dent in my confidence early. And then it's just been a little bit of a snowball rolling down a hill from there where I'm just not like, I consider myself, even if I haven't been practicing and playing all that much, and maybe I don't have great reason for it. I consider myself to be a pretty confident golfer. Like I, at least I'm going to tell myself when I get out there that it's going to go well. And even if I'm not hitting it well, even if I'm, I'm not putting all that well, like I at least tell myself, like I have reason to believe this one can be good Mm. for some reason. I don't sit there and tell myself on a pitch shot necessarily like this isn't going to be good, but there's, there's just too much going on up there. I'm thinking about turning. I'm thinking about this, that, the other. And, you know, I think, I mean, look, confidence is just purely a process of hitting good shots and having reason to believe that something can go well. And, you know, in, in the debit and credit category, there are just too many 
red numbers essentially. And I guess, you know, if we're talking about, about finances, that's a bad thing and golf, it might be a good thing. Um, but too many bad ones versus the good ones, um, to where, you know, the, the chipping confidence is just a little bit out of balance. Hmm. I mean, is it yips? No, that's so, so it's not, I've never been like, yeah, it's never been yips necessarily. It's It's not like a muscle um, spasm type of move. Okay. No, it's not that um, bad shots. Just, just so average for my entire. And I have found I've, I've I have a whole new appreciation for the concept of the mid am wedge now because you know if you're not if you're not exactly if you're not good at something and then you don't do it you don't exactly get better. I think that people think that that might be the case, but nowadays when I play golf, like a forty yard wedge shot, man, it's not fun. Like I really don't want to look at that. I never did, and now I really don't. Um, so I really have a great respect for when people say, yeah, like I just kind of putt from off the green. Um, but no, it's not, it's not a, yep. It's not anything like that, but it's just never been, I've kind of said the same thing over and over today that golf is just, it really is ultimately all about confidence. And that, Mm. you know, when you see someone step up to a 200 yard shot to a back left pin, like you're either confident or you're not, you know, you either think that that ball is going to turn out pretty nicely and in all likelihood, it's got a good chance to, or if you're looking at the bunker and the water and whatever else might be there, then like, it's not going to go well. And chipping is exactly the same thing. I've, I've joked with, so, so my, my podcast co-host Walker also would be on the record to say not the greatest chipper ever. And we both have just worked on it endlessly and we talk about it. And it's like, we, we have like therapy sessions every now and then of like, God, let's, let's talk about the chipping. Like we can't just put it in the closet. we got to get this out there. And there's such a fine line to me between like, do you think you're going to make this from 40 yards or are you just looking at the green? You know, like Mm. rarely do I say to myself, like, "Eh, I feel okay. Like, I think I'll probably hit this to 10 feet. It's like, no, I, I think I'm like doing pretty well with my chipping right now. And I'm looking at the bottom of the hole or you get a little dent in that confidence. And you're just like, can I just like hit the dance floor here? Mm. Um, so we're just we're just talking in circles here like clearly it's just it's it's a confidence issue i i I don't know how to do this but i need to think about it more from a standpoint of just like i've got a seven iron in hand i think i'm going to hit this well in the center of the club face and i feel good about it you know i think that after just years of practice and different methodologies and techniques you know the thing that you always go back to and this is to some degree it's like it's something that you just can't talk yourself into but i'm gonna try when you see someone who's really good at chipping, like they they can't necessarily they can try to explain to you why they're good or, or they they you know they can try to maybe help you out, but I think that that's just the essence of being good at something in so, to some degree. And with short game shots in golf, I see that even more so than pretty much anything else in golf, where people that are good just they kind of have a little bit of a knack. Mm. And I think the best way to go about that is maybe just like you just got to simplify it in some way, you know, and say like, Hey, look, it's just simply not that hard. Like I'm going to look at the ground. I'm going to set the club in a certain way. I'm going to kind of try to tell myself, like, am I, are we trying to bounce this? Is there going to be a little bit of a divot? Like, let's read the lie. Let's see the shot and let's just kind of send it. And that to me is probably a better way to do it because, you know, so I was watching a bit of the PGA yesterday and Phil on like the third or fourth hole, a longer par three he kind of hit it up a ridge came back down and like sitting down in this lie a little bit and it was like this is the kind of shot that would give me just 
absolute nightmares. The ball is like up above a tier. And I mean, he just took out his lob wedge, took a massive divot, flew it up over the ridge on the green and hit it to a foot. Mm. And that's, that's kind of what it is, you know, is that's a shot that most pros wouldn't have even tried. I mean, there's probably no amount of money you could pay me to like actually pull a lob wedge there and try that. But ultimately, like if you're, you know, I've kind of talked myself into this today, talking about like tournament golf, like, Hey, look, the way to do it isn't to just say, well, let me go out and like pitch a couple balls at a public course and practice the way to do it, especially at a stage in life where like, there isn't a lot of value tied to my results is to kind of just say like, Hey, look, I'm going to go compete today. And when I miss the green, I'm going to, I'm going to drop every club in my bag other than my lob wedge in the fairway. And I'm going to go up and hit it with a lob wedge, you know? And I think that that's probably how you get better at stuff. Ultimately is you just simply kind of take it head on Mm. and what, whether it's laughing at the bad results or holding yourself to a crazy high standard or however it is that someone deals with that. I think you just kind of have to like, jump into the fire and somehow figure it out because it's just a it's not that serious and b it's not that hard so when you have an iron in your hand or or what's what's your best is it driving irons it sounds like ball striking in some way maybe it's putting what's your best yeah generally speaking ball striking um i'm i'm not the longest driver in the world i hit it long enough um but i'm pretty consistent and i mean i if you'd ask me like what am i better at than others it's probably you know something like mid iron category you know if i have a, a five iron in hand i i rate myself over the rest of the field so when you when you have a five iron in your hand um and you're looking at the target does the does the potential of a bad shot scare you no i no don't really think about i mean you always recognize that it could happen but no there's not like a lot of fear necessarily in a bad shot it feels like it's going to be an anomaly even if there is if there's water or something like that it's like could i hit this in the water like yeah but i'm not expecting it and you know if it happens it happens it's kind of my mindset so when you have a chip or a pitch do you fear the potential mistake yeah it feels like par for the course (laughs) right so so it sounds like on your five iron you've got acceptance of a potential mistake right and on a on a wedge you don't have any acceptance of a potential mistake is that is that fair is that accurate yeah totally so i don't i don't necessarily think it's i know i'm gonna hit this good i think it's more of a um i'm cool if i don't hit this good do you what do you think I like that. I think that's a good way to frame it because as I'm, I'm kind of like trying to put myself in the mentality right now. And I think that a lot of the time when, and, and maybe this is true statistically, maybe it's not, but like when I see a five iron shot, I think of it as like opportunity to some degree of like, sure. okay, tucked pin, got a five iron in hand, you know, let's say it's a long par four. What's my expected value here? Like probably to get down in 3.2 shots, something like that, like a little worse than par, you know? Whereas like I'm on a par five, I'm 40 yards from the green. It's my third shot. I kind of view it as like, man, if I make par here, like I'm giving something back. If I make bogey, it's like, man, that's like 1.7 shots. It almost gets viewed a little bit more like, man, I kind of need to make birdie to Mm -hmm. continue to pace people here. And I think it's that, like there it is right there. It's that need like mm-hmm. a need to do something versus I I could potentially do something, you know, like there's something to be gained here. If you, you make a birdie with a five iron in your hands, like you just flat gain shots on people. Whereas if you make a par or a bogey with a 40 yarder, 
you're thinking kind of thinking of that as like, man, I just really gave something away. Whether those things are true or not, they probably are. Simply the mentality there of of thinking through it, thinking about it through a lens of having an opportunity to do something versus an opportunity to screw something up, like there it is right there. Thinking about screwing something up is probably not the best recipe to uh to have a lot of success yeah not not generally uh great advice uh just don't right just whatever you do don't do this or even you need to hit this good you need to hit this close you so there's the difference between a a challenge and a threat Uh, you use the word challenge and you basically said threat right so you've got a five iron um or a difficult par four or whatever that to you that is a challenge right? It's a, it would be something that you want to show up and do well at when you have a 40 yarder third shot on a par five. It's, it maybe lives in that threat category more. It's a, it's a threat against you that says, if you don't do this well, you're probably uh, losing shots of the field. We've all got strokes gain in our head um, of this, this 40 yarder uh, typical for the field that I'm playing in we're going to, we should hit it to 15 feet and make that every once in a while. So we should never take three or four shots right from here. So it's, it's more of a threat against you. And maybe it's like a confirmation of kind of who you've learned that you are. I don't know. Am I getting in your head too much? (laughs) No, not at all. I love this. I love like trying to break it down and seeing if we can solve something here. So I used to have a joke it started as a joke and turned into just like a, no, this is how I'm going to play the game with my college coach because Conrad Ray, great guy. love him to mm. death and not the greatest chipper either. Even worse putter. He wouldn't mind me saying that, but he knows I love him. Um, we had this theory that he referred to as the theory of squirrels juggling knives. And when he was walking with me on the course, if I, sometimes it's the most, actually oftentimes it's the most basic pitch shots for those of us that don't pitch it quite as well, which I need to stop saying, like, here's the whole issue. Like I got to quit tagging myself that way, whether it's true or not. But you know, for the time being, we'll just go with that. And he would see me and be like, Oh man, is it, is it this club or is it that club? And like starting to just like overanalyze thinking again, like the, the squirrels juggling knives up there, there's just too much going on in the mind. And as soon as that would happen, it's like, okay, punt, like hit just something that you know you're going to hit well, whether it's a, a pitching wedge or an eight iron, or just like bump it. Don't, if you start to overcomplicate it, just decide to not do that and do something different. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how we're going to go about it. And definitely save some shots doing that without a doubt. Um, but maybe, maybe like the mid am extrapolation of that is okay. If I start thinking about it too much, just game the lob wedge and accept the fact that like, you're going to skull some, you're going to chunk some, but over time, it's a little bit more of that. Just like, Hey, when I start to see a challenge, just like, don't avoid it. I think there, it's probably not wrong in college golf when you're playing for teammates and like every shot matters, you know, Mm. 75 is better than 76. If you're having a bad day, like someone might be having a worse day, but in mid am golf, who cares? You know, like if you shoot 77, you shoot 77. And if you shoot 81, then like, you know what? That might miss the cut and you get home earlier and you save some money on the hotel. <laughs> like there are worse things in the world. So mm. let's just pull the lob wedge. Maybe that's kind of my new method there is just like spinning it in the completely opposite direction. Yeah. Facing your fears and showing yourself you can handle it. And also acceptance of a potential mistake. Your uh, confidence, it's fragile confidence to say, I know I'm going to hit this well because then if you don't, uh, 
what happens to my confidence, right? It goes away. Stable confidence would come from um, more of a uh, an openness and a freedom and a and freedom would come from I'm cool with wherever this goes, right? This could go anywhere and I'm cool with it. And um, Mid-Am Golf, I think, promotes that, right? Where it's the who cares, the no one, no one cares what I shoot. In fact, they hate when they hear about what I shoot, right? So it just doesn't matter to other people. It's all in my own head. So maybe I just need to be all right with whatever could happen here. So I want to bounce this one off you that one of the ways that I've been thinking about golf lately when, you know, the, the, let's see, the number of shots in my mind as of recent that are really good, it's just not as long as it used to be because there aren't as many shots just in general. And so sure. I have like, I have a pretty good general memory, especially around competitive golf of like, you know, this six iron that I hit in this tournament on this course three years ago. And like that, just everything was good. You know, like I, I went about it the right way. I struck it just right. I hit it to two feet. And so I've kind of been doing that for pretty much every situation in my bag of like, as I step into this shot, even if it's just a random shot on a public course, like let's say it's a driver, you know, I know I loved this shot that I hit mm. on the seventh hole, whenever it was back in the day. And so chipping, although there are some, some skeletons in the closet, there's some good ones as well. Like I do have vivid specific memories of certain shots that it was like, yep, use the bounce there, clipped it up there to two feet that went just right. You know, what do you think about that of kind of going about the game a little bit more from, especially for those of us, you know, this is like very tailored to the mid-ams junior golfers and, and college golfers. Please don't listen to this. Like go, go hit the large bucket, like get, get a bunch of good ones in the bag and, and actually build that muscle memory and confidence. But for those of us that have to get a little bit more creative around confidence, that's kind of been what I've gaming lately is this idea of like, I'm going to go back in one of my best memories with this specific shot. And as I step into the ball, like that's kind of what I'll think about because, you know, I don't have that long list of really good shots in the last four weeks or something to draw upon necessarily. Yeah. I mean, real evidence of, um, something that you're capable of, um, is absolutely helpful. And I would say in the way that you're, um, if you're trying to reframe your belief about yourself, where if if um if you have this kind of lens you see yourself through or um if you've got some some unhealthy self-image views then yeah just look at the evidence right i'm not um i'm not that terrible i'm not maybe i'm i blow my own terribleness out of proportion right so let's look at the real evidence and that's just like a mental health thing where my self-image has declined recently uh what's that based around why is your self-image getting lower you're probably forgetting about the actual reality of things you're um it's actually there's like research on depression is you overgeneralize the past as negative and you you say um you you kind of forget about the details of the good ones and the bad ones you say i am bad or it has been bad and it sounds like to you, not that you're depressed, maybe you're depressed around chipping, but a hundred percent. Absolutely. Right, That's a deep right. depression. So it sounds like you've overgeneralized your chipping as one big emotion and your brain in its own file system says bad when it goes, 
when it files through the the file that flicks through the files, it finds shipping and you pull out a piece of paper and it's just the big word bad. And I think seeing real evidence of the past, breaking the, the breaking the past down into more detail rather than overgeneralization will absolutely help your own belief about yourself. And it'll, I mean, you don't get a whole lot of good information from bad. You get better information on how to get better from, okay, this one was not what I wanted uh, and why. And this one was what I wanted and why, right? So that gives you better information and it helps your self-image. So yes, clear evidence of your past successes and failures, right? We're talking about facing your failure. Yes, um, break it down into more detail. And also, yeah, hold that one good one in mind, sure. I don't think that can hurt. What do you think? Well, yeah, something I really like there is I think that it's a great way to view things as more of like, okay, if this is something I'm not as confident in, then there is greater mental confidence or greater mental benefit to be had from success, right? So sure. if like, so let's, let's take a par five, for example, you know, hit a good drive out there. I've got 225 in. My mind goes to like, let's go like world of opportunity here. I can mm-hmm. make an eagle. You know, I got a four iron in my hand. And while that's all true, like for me personally, I think you got to view this as like personal mental strokes gained, right? There's not as much to be gained there because there is a bit of an expectation of like, yeah, I've, sure. I've like, I've made shots like this before. You know, I've, I've made these eagles. I've hit great shots. I, I kind of, to some degree expect, expect to hit something really good here. Sure. versus, okay, I hit a really bad one, whatever. I accept it. That's you know a, a win in and of itself, but missed the green. Now I've got a pitch shot. Where's the mind then go? It's like, oh, here we go. You know, here I gotta, gotta try to get this up and down. This might not be good. This is, this is a chance for me to screw things up. You know, when you kind of workshop that and reverse engineer a little bit, it's like, there's not quite as much for me personally to gain from hitting another good four iron. I've done that a lot. I, I expect that to some degree. Whereas on the 40 yarder, it's like, well, if you reframe that into, eh, I might hit a bad one, but I've, I've hit plenty of bad ones. Like it's just another bad shot. Again, nobody cares other than me. You know, why do you care? Because there is a chance to hit a really good one. And that, that again, personal mental strokes gained is so much higher in that mm. instance. Like if I really hit a nice nipper and you know, the worse the lie is, the worse, the, the harder the shot, the more there is to be gained. If you yeah. kind of view it more through that lens of like, let's not talk about this from like a pure numerical, like, oh, ego, I'm gaining on other people. It's like, no, what am I gaining mentally on myself? I think that's a nice little reframe as well for people to think for, for me personally, but for others as well. Like this can be, this can be put into any facet of the game that people struggle with. Like if you're a really nervous short putter or really nervous with a driver in your hand, view it kind of as like, even though other people might not view it that way, like it's all about you. Golf is mm. is pure. Like the only person that cares about how things go truly is is yourself, and people need to realize that. You know, if you think that other people care how you play, good, bad, or otherwise, like that is false. So, if you're trying to enjoy it and you're really nervous on that first tee shot, view that as like, well, today is the day that if I hit a good one, like that can make your day right there. And that's kind of how I feel about pitching. Like if I can step off the course and I hit one like great forty yard pitch shot. Like that can be a successful day for me. I would be like very excited about playing golf that day from just having hit one really good pitch shot. So I think that's a, a nice little mental reframe for me that we've we've uncovered there. Good. Yeah. I love mental strokes gain. I think that's awesome. I've never I 
I live and breathe this stuff, and I've never even thought of that term where the delta between a bad between bad and good or unhelpful and helpful is bigger on these challenges for you. And that's that's absolute opportunity. The same way you view a par five as an opportunity score-wise, a 40-yarder, a difficult 40-yarder off of difficult lie is a huge opportunity mental-wise to make a big leap for you. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So what, uh, do you want to get into the episode now? I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, do, what What's your tie to like North Carolina, Charlotte? I, I know I saw in your past you've, did you grow up in Charlotte or you did? Yeah, I grew up in Charlotte, um, lived there my whole life up until college. Um, okay. My family spent some time down in like low country, South Carolina now as well. And so I kind of consider each of those to be, you know, quote unquote home. Um, but yeah, I lived in Charlotte, went to high school there all through, um, all through going, going to college. And, uh, you know, I don't make it back a ton anymore. Mm-hmm. Charlotte, it's, it's a great city. It's grown like crazy. It's kind of, I may or may not have made that bet as like a 15 year old that it would kind of start to be on this list of, uh, it's amazing to me how many, how many friends that I'll have asked me who live in California and other places. They're like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about like Denver and Charlotte. And I'm like, I, I didn't see it as like being on that list. Um, but certainly excited for it. Um, but yeah, from the Carolinas, love the Carolinas. I mean, it's just, it's an easy place to live. Um, there, there are a lot of great people there. There's a lot of, not a ton of great golf. And I say that term very specifically, but there is a ton of really good golf, Mm. right? Like to me, Pinehurst number two is an amazing course. There, there are a lot of very, very, very strong courses, um, but only a few like tip top ones, but really fun place to grow up from a standpoint of being able to play all year and never being far from, you know, really high quality stuff. So I was searching my email to find kind of our conversation going into this and a former North Carolina amateur roster tea time thing came up. Did you play the 2020 North Carolina am at Northridge? I did. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. There was someone named Henry Shimp in that field. You know what? It's funny you say that because I, I think I signed up and pulled out. I do not remember why. Okay. Um, man, that's, that's a crazy time. If we want to talk about like weird stuff. So that was, what three months into COVID? Um, mm, probably, yeah. We, yeah, we were sent home from school like what yeah. second week of, of March that year, and so yeah, it was it was. I mean, speaking of the Carolinas, like shout out to the Carolinas. COVID was a lot of fun there, much more so than <laughs> than than being in California. I mean, California, I see. couldn't play any golf. People were doing like nothing at all. I was in Charleston basically that whole time, mm. kind of like playing golf every day with my brother, taking school online. I was like, hey, this this isn't all that bad, you know. Yeah. And then I'd like talk to my coach out in California. He's like, yeah, you know, the golf course has been shut down for three months now, and we're able to go outside for forty minutes a day. So. Another another good thing for the Carolinas there, um, but yeah, I don't remember why, but I I was set to play in that, and mm. something came up. Don't don't recall what it was, but you're you're not wrong there. I probably at some point was on that roster. Yeah, uh, your tea time was twenty minutes after mine, so I I thought if you did play in that, it'd be crazy to uh, to think we were probably on the same putting green together, but I, I guess not. Yeah. I did. I competed a decent amount that summer. Um, there okay. were, I think the first thing that I played in that summer was I played the North South at, at Pinehurst. Mm-hmm. And I remember we, we putted with the stick in, 
Um, yeah. Now there was like, it was hilarious. PVC like, down in the cup. Yeah, but like the caddies, they were allowed to take the pin out if you requested. It was suggested for them not to, but I was kind of like, come on guys, like especially on a five-footer, I want it out. But there was like, you know, please use a towel like on yeah. the PVC. There was a specific way they were supposed to take the pin out. Like, gosh, just yeah. crazy, crazy times. Um, yeah. But competitive golf that summer, it was it was interesting, but, but fun. Um, I remember I played. So would you have played at Bandon that summer for the U.S. Amateur? Did you get an exemption for that from the Mid-Am? No. Sounds okay. awesome, but no. I that didn't. was that was an interesting time. Just mm. yeah, full full COVID, you know, testing constantly. Yeah. You got a test to to be able to go, you got a test when you get there. Um, like fun fact, it we being in California, you know, COVID was very stringent and had tests like three times a week at school. I forget my total tally at this point, but I I took like it was like over 150 total COVID tests throughout the course of the thing. It was, Oh my gosh. It was just like, it was just part of the week. You know, it was like, we had, we had six 30 practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays and everyone would, you know, you'd wrap up at nine 15 and we'd all ride straight over to the student athlete center and, you know, get the little thing shoved up our nose and go on with your day. Um, wow. I think yeah, I had two was, total the entire, yeah, it's time. amazing how many people like, People that were on the East Coast the whole time, especially, you know, Carolinas, Texas, whatever, um, that I'm like, you know, what was your sort of testing protocol or what's your experience with that? And they're like, ah, you know, right. I had to fly to see my my grandparents and thought it was probably smart. And I was like, yeah, I, that was not quite the case for me. But yeah. uh, I'm glad I'm glad that I actually think that um, wasn't there an announcement recently, either from the White House or it was from the, the WHO that we are like considering the pandemic to be part of history at this point um i didn't know that which let's let's not you know get this thing censored but uh i got it yeah probably probably not a uh probably not a bad thing for everybody right i get it um so what 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 excites you the most um from here going forward what what are you most excited about could be it doesn't have to be golf no that's a great question um i'll i'll kind of keep it within the scope of golf i mean I'm I'm at that point now where I don't get to play that much and you know come we talked about having a shoulder injury earlier I'm like fully in that stage where I'm back to playing and I feel you know confident about my game and my my shoulder and getting back into it and so the idea of being able to like play on my own terms not that again like I loved college golf and so it's like if anyone kind of thinks of that as like, oh, you didn't really enjoy it. You know, you had to do it on someone else's schedule. Not the case at all. But like mm. being able to say like, oh, like, you know, third week in July, I'm going to go travel with a friend and play a couple of courses and I want to compete in some events and just like really do golf however I want to continue to do the podcast. I just think that there's a ton to be excited for there. And I think something that that Walker and I have been talking about a lot and they're kind of starting to formally plan out and, and put on the calendar is like, you know, we've made a lot of great relationships through the podcast and being at school. The only, the only bad thing about being a collegiate athlete in my mind is you, you don't have any, it's not that you don't have any time, but you don't have any flexibility to do stuff, right? Because you're like two full-time jobs, five and a half days a week, you are tied to a different schedule. And so like when someone asks you like, Hey man, like I know you're in California, but you know, you want to come out to wherever and play some golf this week. I'm like, yes, I do, but not going to fly, you know, no chance. Um, being at a stage now where I can, you know, kind of going back to that, like playing golf on my own terms, being able to travel a little bit more and connect with some more people and um, do those things is exciting. And then, you know, setting golf aside, 
my my family we talk about this all the time of like hey let's like take a trip to here and you know i think that there's some golf and i'm kind of like hey guys like i very much appreciate the nod there but i've got, i've been super super fortunate to do a lot of travel in my life and have been to some amazing places but so much of that has to do with golf which is completely a positive thing mm-hmm. but i'm also excited to do a little bit of travel here and there now where it's like Okay, I don't. I, I'm not taking the clubs, or maybe mm-hmm. I am, and and you know, going somewhere for a week and playing golf once, you know. Yeah. But it's not about. For example, golf. W- so some of the best stuff I've ever gotten to do. I, I played the um, the Australian Master of the Amateur a couple times um, at Royal Melbourne one year, and then it was at Victoria. And I mean, Melbourne's one of the great cities in the world, and, and getting to go down there a couple years and you know see Australia and play those sandbelt courses. I mean, amazing, truly amazing. However, like there's there's stress involved for that right like you're competing you're there half the time to perform and you know you're you're a little concerned about trying to like get caught up on sleep and everything when you have that crazy time change because you're like four days from now you know i need to actually like put it on show and go try to be really good and so getting to do some travel where it's not so much around that like performance mindset i think there's some stuff to be excited for there um you know this is all like I'm kind of crossing the wires here of like, I love competing and I want to do this, but then like, I want to set it aside. But um, again, I think it just comes down to that, like the choice, the optionality of like, I want to do it because I flat enjoy it, but there's just, you know, there's, there's no stress tied to it. You know, you, you do it because it's fun and because it's what you want to do. Um, but not because there's like some expectation around playing well you want to play well because that that to me is the ultimate that's what makes it fun like getting to compete the better the course is the higher the pressure is and the better that you play like when you kind of pack all those three together that's when i'm like really really having a great time with it um and so you know kind of having um you know having full control over that process is uh is something to look forward to for me and that mentality is going to make acceptance of mistakes easier so i'm optimistic for your summer thank you yeah we'll we'll keep you posted on the wedges i'm i think we've we've you know on a serious note we we've uncovered some good stuff here i've got some good stuff to think about and work on okay um but but we'll keep you posted it's it's a work in progress cool so where would you send people what would you promote if you if you could yeah, check out the the Thai podcast. Um, pretty easy to find. Spotify, Google, what is it? Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Um, kind of the same handle everywhere. Twitter, Instagram. Um, we do, you know, a decent amount of social content. I mean, we've talked nothing but golf today. We kind of pride ourselves at the Thai on being like golf adjacent, so adjacent. to speak. Um, sure, yeah, you know, we we certainly try to get people in the door through golf, but then. We like to talk about food. We like to talk about coffee. We like to talk about all sorts of things. There's some fitness in there. And so um, if you have kind of a, a, I would imagine your your listenership, which is true of a lot of ours as well, but like pretty golf specific. But mm-hmm. if you're kind of like, hey, come for the golf, but stay for other stuff, then you'll probably enjoy things pretty well. Because, you know, if we talk for for 60 minutes on a Mudball Monday, for example, you know, you'll you'll get 25 minutes of golf talk and we'll get in the weeds there a little bit. But you're going to get some other stuff as well. We always start off, we call it the, the dirt, drinking, eating, reading, and thinking. So there's going to be a solid 15, 20 minutes there where if that stuff interests you as well, um, then uh, don't don't be worried about spending your entire Monday morning thinking about you know swinging a club and maybe hitting pitch shots not quite as well as you want. So yeah, the Thai podcast, um, 
you know, if you want to check out my, my personal page, Henry Shump on Instagram, there's not a lot of interesting stuff there, but every now and then you might, you might see something last night. I, I went to, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Rogan, um, mm-hmm. but obviously Who's he not? has a pot. He has a podcast that's a little bit more popular than what either of us slightly, do, but he's, he's just opened this comedy club in Austin and, you know, cause he started out as a comedian and I guess the whole deal is, and this is a lot of what he talks about on his podcast, but censorship to him is this like crazy concept. And so what they do at this place is they take your phone and you have to like lock it in a little bag. And so there's no, you can't record anything. You can't text or call. It's like, it's amazing. Actually. It's like being at the masters where yeah. you can't touch your phone for the whole time. Um, but then the people that he brings in, the comedians are people that have like said something that's just a little too over the line over time and someone recorded it. And so that's kind of the whole deal. And so I remember this is my first time going, it's like impossible to get tickets. And I was saying to my friend, I was like, yeah, like I've heard that, like, it's pretty open, you know, they'll talk about whatever, but I'd have to imagine they're not using, and obviously we'll not, I'm not even going to intimate them, but I'm, I'd imagine they're not using this word or saying that kind of stuff. It's no, absolutely. Like everything is on the table. It was, it was egregiously funny and like unbelievable, <laughs> the stuff that they were talking about, but um, it's like, it, it truly has become almost impossible to get tickets to in Austin now. I'm sure. Um, so now I'm just completely rambling, but uh, I yeah, love check out the Thai podcast, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. Spotify, it's it's all there. We we post a couple things a week. Um, you know, hopefully people might find something halfway interesting. So you're not you're not gonna shout out your personal Twitter, which I just found last night that looks like you started on May first. Yeah, maybe like a week or two ago, something yeah. like that. I've I've like started tweeting a little bit here and there. Um, I don't know, I find it interesting to kind of engage with people in different sorts of conversations on Twitter. Um I think it's fun to like share share how you experience something. You know, I think that's what Twitter is kind of a, it's a weird space these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people say a lot of negative things about it, but I like my overall take on social media is it is precisely what you make it. Like yeah. if you want to engage in like a bunch of political talk, then like you're, they're going to be a there's lot a of place. Like, yeah, there's, there's some bad mental health things and such to come from social media. Um, but you know, if you want to just talk about golf and like have fun with it that way, then that's cool. And you know, if you want to, engage with a lot of people that are talking about kind of how they go about their career and mm. um, you know, how they're trying to improve themselves on a day-to-day basis, then like you can do that. And so that's kind of my Twitter outlet. I have like different uh, I have different themes and, in, in, you know, social media, like Instagram is purely to stay connected with the friends on my personal side. Like I follow like a hundred people that I want to, you know, that I went to school with or whatever it is. And I want to kind of stay plugged in with a few sports pages and like, that's it, you know, but there's not, I don't, I don't follow, I'm not even going to say any news sources or anything like that, but that's just not what I have any interest in. Um, then of course with like the tie, that's kind of promotion and staying involved in the golf space. And then Twitter, yeah, it's kind of like personal development sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I find it interesting to just see what other people are thinking in that world. So very new, um, but we're, it, we're, we're giving it a go. I, I was scrolling through it and it heavily influenced how I ran this conversation, just seeing you said podcasting thoughts, this, 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 because you're, you're great at it. So I said, Ooh, what he's actually talking about what he thinks about podcasting. I'm here for this. So it, um, it's gonna hopefully help me be a better interviewer. It's something you, you talked about was a good podcaster is a good interviewer, someone who can listen and bounce around. So I, I don't know if that came through, but, um, I, uh, I appreciate your advice. Cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that from you. And, you know, I just, 
the word the word of like the year just like going forth for me like it's just interest like i just want to i want to do things that i'm interested in talk about things i'm interested in and interact with other people that are kind of of the same mindset because that to me that's what it's all about like if you if you're talking about thinking about and engaging with things and people that you're interested in that that's kind of the magic to me and and that's kind of my take on podcasting as well it's like it's easy to get yourself in this mindset of like, okay, what, what should I ask this yeah, person? Yeah. Like, what, what do I need to draw out of this guy? And my whole deal is like, it, it doesn't matter. You know, there, could you interview, you know, insert anybody that has like, you know, interesting story. And like, that's the thing I should ask him about. Okay. Here's a random example. Adam Scott, like I should ask Adam Scott about the putty made at the 2013 masters. Like, is that right or wrong? Maybe, maybe not, but just, just ask him what you actually want to know. Hey Adam, why do you wear the same color every day? If you're actually interested in that, then like that to me is where you get the best stuff. So um, yeah, yeah, because it'll light about, them up probably because it's exactly whoa, no one's ever asked me that or, or not in this context. Yeah, yeah, you get the best answers out of people from the things that they're actually most interested in. And if you if you find something interesting about someone, they probably are also personally interested. And so there you go. You just need to align the two. Cool. So what would you name this episode? Chipping. Chipping? That's all I got. Chipping. No. Chipping uh, with Henry Shump? I think that's, that's awesome. terrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Oh, God. That, no, that's a nightmare. That is an absolute nightmare. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer there. Um, that's okay. I'll come up with something. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Henry. This, is, this has been a pleasure. I hope, I hope it was an all right time for you. No, absolutely. This is great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought, you know, when I looked through it, I was like, okay, like, where's the dent in your confidence? I was like, I am more than happy to talk about the chipping here. And I actually, I thought about that, that like, you know, you like talking about kind of the mental side of performance and everything. And I was like, hey, look, I'm more than happy to like get out there and expose a little vulnerability yeah. that like, I am not a great chipper. And I, I thought, you know, especially for your listenership that like talking about Relatable. chipping and how you can like, maybe talk through that with people. I thought that could be valuable. And so I'm, I'm glad that we ended up getting there because I figured that could make for some good kind of genuine conversation, not just be like, oh, I get a little bit nervous on the first tee and, you know, let's help people with that. Like, again, it kind of goes to that like genuine interest. Like maybe I'm not all that interested in shipping terribly, but it is, it's authentic for sure. Um, sure. So I'm glad that we were able to kind of focus on that a bit because I think that's probably going to create some real value to some degree. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Well, I hope we can, uh, our paths cross in the future and do something together again. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, and I'd love to get you on the tie at some point as well, if you're interested to be, we've been yes. talking about this actually, that I, I don't want to do the same episode again, but we've like joked here and there. Cause Walker's like same deal, like just not good at chipping. I was like, you know, we should pull someone in and like, just get it out there. Like he and I can kind of be, if we did a three way and we're just like, we're going to talk about like short game chipping, whatever, and kind of view it as like a, Hey, let's, let's talk about like mental performance sort of stuff. Sure, yeah, It would be great to have you on and like, kind of maybe walk through that a little bit. Um, because we get like, we get a lot of DMS and things about that. That when we talk about competitive golf and kind of the performance side, people are like, yeah, I mean, whether I compete or not, like there's value here. I love hearing about this. And so, um, if you're interested, I think that could be a fun episode to do. Consider me very interested. Cool. Cool. That'll be great. Well, we'll be in touch. I uh, appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. And uh, of course, yeah. Let me know when, when you release it and I'll be sure to repost and all okay. that stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you, Henry. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Nice talking with you. 
All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Henry. I really loved our talk through the mentality of what putting self-imposed pressure can lead to and how the bigger perspective of viewing golf differently can help. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I highly encourage you to talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard just doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the golf course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. All right, thanks again to everybody for listening to the podcast. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that we've built. We are growing uh, faster than we've ever grown. It's bigger than it's ever been. So uh, I, I deeply appreciate all of you who have shared this with somebody. So if you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's how more people can discover it. And I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend. That's the uh, That shows me that you actually learned something and you actually care about what you hear. So if so, please share it with a friend. It makes a huge difference. So thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time. Mm-hmm.